So we're in this study on Wednesday night in 1 Timothy. And I want to just take you back to chapter 3 for just a moment to the key summary verses of this entire letter, which is in verses 14 and 15, where Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you, this young pastor, Timothy, from Paul, in case I am delayed to let you know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, because it's the church of the living God, the support and bulwark of the truth. Everything that Paul says in this letter to this pastor is given to him so that then he, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, where his church is at, he then can pass these instructions on to the people of God. In other words, it is God's code of conduct of how you and I as Christians should, should be as part of the church. That, you know, we might just take for granted, well, somebody accepts Christ as their Savior, and then as part of the church, they just automatically know what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to act. and how. No! All of us have to be instructed as to what's the expectations of being part of the body of Christ. What are the expectations of being a part of a church? Timothy is going to give his people these instructions as he's been instructed from Paul. So that's what we've been talking about throughout this study. Uh, and, and the reason I think God particularly led me to teach on this at this particular time is, again, I think God is preparing us, our church, for this new season, you know, that we're getting ready to come into here. Uh, and he wants to reinforce us with sort of the basics, if you will, of, of our faith and what we as the people of God are supposed to be focused on. So with that said, I want to begin tonight actually then in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy in verse 10. Because what Paul says in this verse is really the foundation and the fuel for everything else that he talks about. In fact, if I had to give this message tonight a title, I would call this message The Habits of the Hopeful. The Habits of the hopeful. Because notice in verse 10, Paul says, in fact, this is why we work hard and struggle because, and here's the phrase, we have set our hope on the living God. Everything that Paul does in his life, everything he's going to instruct Timothy to instruct his people to do is based on the fact that he has come to a place where he doesn't just have hope in the living God. Notice he has come to a place where he has set his hope on the living. In other words, his hope is settled. What's it mean to have come to a place where he has set his hope on the living God? Well, first of all, it means that he is confident, absolutely confident that his future and everyone's future is in the hands of God. That's one of the things it means. Do, has that been settled in your life? Do you know that your future is in the hands of God? And so you're not like, you know, always worrying and fretting and concerned about what the future holds because even though you and I don't know what the future is, we know that our future is in the hands of God. That's one of the things it means. And then the other thing that it means to have set our hope on the living God is that everything that God has promised us, we are settled that it's going to be fulfilled. In other words, whatever God has promised us, we 
believe that he will come through and, and he will carry out whatever he's promised. That's what it means to set our hope on the living God. The word hope speaks about this confident expectation and anticipation of the future. And Paul says, as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who are part of the household of God, part of the church of the living God, we should come to a place in our life where our hope is set. Even as Nicole was talking about and and we sang about, not in anything else but on the living God. Our future is in His hands. All that He has promised us, we know He will fulfill. And it's important for us not just to have hope, but to have that settled, if you will. So out of that now, Paul then is going to share in this passage with this pastor Timothy, again, not only for his sake, but for the sake of his congregation, what are then the habits of those who have set their hope on the living God. Well, if you go up then to the verse we left off with last week, it would be verse 7. He says, reject those myths, those man-made things, fabrications, fit only for the godless and gullible. And here's the key, train yourself... For godliness. One of the habits of the hopeful is that we will train ourselves for godliness. And let me start with something that I shared last week. Remember last week in verse 6, he talked about nourishing ourselves. And now tonight he starts off with training ourselves. So one of the things Paul is saying is we must accept personal responsibility for our spiritual health and fitness. Because just as... It takes a good diet and exercise to be physically fit. Paul now, last week and now this week says, it takes a good spiritual diet and it takes spiritual exercise in order to be spiritually fit. And one of the things you've heard me say over the years is it's not in trying, it's in training. So many Christians will say, I'm frustrated I'm discouraged with my Christian life and making progress because I'm trying really hard, but I'm not getting anywhere. And the key is that Paul is saying, it's not in trying. You can try really hard to do a lot of things. That will never get us anywhere. What gets us somewhere where we begin to make progress and really gain territory is when we train for something. I've used this illustration before. I can say, I'm going to try real hard to run the P.F. Chang's Marathon here in Phoenix. I'm not going to get very far in that 26.2 miles just by trying really hard. But if I start today, and I start training for that, and train for a whole year, I still might not get all 26.2 miles down, but I'll get a lot further by training for it than just by trying. And the word here for train is the Greek word gymnasio, where we get our English word gymnasium from. And what it really means is to be willing to exercise rigorously, to to put forth great effort, if you will. In other words, it's almost like Paul is saying, Christians have to get to the point where we're, we're willing to put in some sweat equity into our spiritual life. Not literally, it 
It's not like I can sweat physically to gain spiritually, but he's saying figuratively, when was the last time you and I sweat to become more godly? I guess is what Paul's saying. Are we willing to get into the spiritual gym and rigorously work out? You see. That's what it means by training ourselves for godliness. And again, the goal here is godliness. You and I cannot become gods. Other cults and religions teach that man, men, can become gods. We can't become gods. But what we can become is godly, meaning in our nature and our character, we can resemble God's nature and character as we are transformed progressively into the image of Jesus Christ, which is the goal of salvation for Christians according to God. That's what he predestined us for, Romans 8, 29, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what that technical theological word sanctification is all about in the Bible. Justification speaks about the time in our lives where we come to faith in Christ, but sanctification then is that lifelong process where then God makes us more like Him. Well, I can't just sit back and say, okay, God, I want to be more godly, and then God just sort of... No. God says, you need to cooperate with me. You need to put forth some effort. You need to be willing to train and work out rigorously. It's one of the habits of the hopeful. If we have truly set our hope on the living God, if we believe that our future is in His hands and that everything that God has promised us about this life and the life to come is going to take place, then you and I will be more motivated and more inspired to get up every day and to cultivate those spiritual disciplines that really get us further ahead. But it takes discipline. Think of an Olympic athlete. We just saw the Summer Olympics this past you know, year. Those athletes didn't just wake up one morning and be able to go out there and compete at a world-class level. They spent hours upon hours and days upon days and weeks upon weeks and months upon months and even years upon years behind the scenes with nobody watching them except maybe their coach. And going, getting up every day and training and training and training and training in order to achieve that level. Paul is saying to us, they do it for corruptible things. Things that aren't going to last. You and I, if we really have set our hope on the living God and we really believe in the promises that God has given us, again, not only about this life, but the life to come, won't we be willing to get up and train every day? And work out and sweat figuratively to become more spiritual? See, all that we're going to talk about really tonight can be sort of summarized in what kind of effort am I putting into my Christian life? It's the old reaping and sowing principle. So many times as Christians, we want to reap this great life, you know, this abundant life, but we don't want to put a lot into it. 
And, and the Bible basically teaches, no, we, we reap what we sow. If we're not sowing much, then we're not going to reap much. It, it's the old, you know, farmer's principle. A farmer can't expect a big harvest if he hasn't sown very much. And many times as Christians, I think we expect some big spiritual harvest, but we haven't sown very much. God is saying, you want a great spiritual harvest? Put forth the effort and you'll get more out of it. The same thing is true again with participation in the local church. Many Christians today, I don't get a lot out of my, well, how much are you putting into it? Are you really engaged? Are you really participating? Are you invested? Are you putting sweat equity into it? If so, you'll get more out of it. It's just a principle that is true in life. So the first habit of the hopeful is training ourselves for godliness. Then he goes on in verse 8, for physical exercise has some value. It's not like it's not worth anything. But he says, but compared to godliness, godliness is valuable in every way. Physical exercise and keeping ourselves physically fit can be helpful, but only in a, in a certain segment of our life. He says, but if you and I train ourselves to become more godly, there is no area of life where that's not advantageous to us. There's not one part of our life where that will not benefit and profit us. And then he goes on to say, it holds promise for the present life and for the life, literally in the Greek, about to come. The second habit of the hopeful is that we will not only live for this life, but we will primarily live for the life to come. In fact, if you have that net Bible, I would either underline that phrase or put that phrase in parenthesis or highlight it or something. The life to come. Because again, if we believe in the promises of God, and we really have set our hope that all the things that God has promised us about what's going to happen throughout eternity is really going to happen, then won't we invest more in eternity than we will this life? Isn't that what Jesus tried to get his followers to do when he says, isn't it better to lay up treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth? Because you can accumulate all these riches and all this stuff on earth, but when you die, it's left to somebody else and you can't carry it with you. Isn't it better to invest in the life to come? And then when you begin to think, just from a logical standpoint, isn't eternity much longer than our earthly life? Even if you and I live to be 90 or 100 years old, compared to forever, there is no comparison. So Paul is saying, those who have set their hope on the living God, not only will be engaged in spiritual training and put forth the effort to work out spiritually in order to get spiritually healthy and spiritually fit, but those who have set their hope on the living God will also live for the life to come. Not just for this life, but they will invest in eternal things. They will be living for things that outlast them on this earth. Then he says, this saying, I think it's referring to what he has just said, is trustworthy, it's reliable, it's dependable, and deserves full acceptance. And accepting something means to pay attention to it. 
It doesn't just mean, well, yeah, I accept that. Like, intellectually, like, yeah, I I get it. No, it means I'm going to pay attention to this. I'm going to give my full attention to this, which is, some again, a theme that runs throughout this passage. Then he goes on to say this. Verse 10, in fact, this is why we work hard and struggle because we have set our hope on the living God. The phrase work hard and struggle means this. First of all, work hard means to labor with great effort to the point of exhaustion. Paul says, we as apostles, we get up every day and we work hard with great effort. We labor with great effort to the point of exhaustion. But we're not just doing it. We do that because we've set our hope on the living God. And we struggle. I love this word. It really goes back to Pastor Olachea's message on Sunday. The word struggle here means to face down the enemy fighting with everything we've got. That's what Paul and the apostles did. They didn't run from the enemy. They faced the enemy and fought the enemy with everything they had. See, many people think, I think that, well, if I give my life to God and and I do what God's asking me to do, I won't have any struggles. Oh, no. In fact, just the opposite. You'll find probably more struggle because the enemy is going to oppose you at every turn. And let me go back to also to that concept of training because it ties in here. Now, I'm not going to speak from personal experience because you can just tell by looking at me, I don't work out. Okay, But some of you that get into the gym and stuff, and especially those of you that still lift weights, what's the pr- and I, I can remember this back when I did play sports and stuff. You know the principle, especially of any kind of weight training, and that is that in order to get strong and then keep increasing your strength as you get stronger, what do you have to also do? You have to also increase the resistance. In other words... Once you've attained a certain level, then you've got to add resistance because if you don't, then you're going to plateau out at that level. You have to keep setting more resistance against yourself in order to keep growing and getting stronger. And that's part of why God allows resistance in our lives. It's not to punish us. It's, it's, it's to make us stronger. If, if there was never any pushback or resistance in our lives, where would the strength really be and where would the progress be? It's like a tree. If a tree never gets any wind, a tree is very weak. What makes trees strong is that they're out there facing the wind every day. And so Paul says, this is why we work hard and struggle. Because we have set our hope on the living God. So the third habit of the hopeful is that we work hard and struggle. After we've trained ourselves for godliness and we're living for the life to come. Then he goes on to say this. That God, the living God, is the Savior of all people, especially of believers. Here again in the Bible is just a very clear emphasis on the fact that God has the ability and capacity to save every human being that was ever born. And yes, this also teaches very clearly that God did not just plan for a certain number of people to be saved or go to heaven and that he has this elect group 
And if you're not part of the elect, sorry, there's no chance for you. No, it's not what the Bible teaches. Now, the Bible does say that only those who personally place their faith in Jesus as Savior will benefit from what he did. But it does clearly say that our God is the Savior. He has the capacity. He has the ability to be able, the power to save any and everybody that was ever born. Then Paul says to this young pastor, command and teach these things. Speak with authority as the pastor of your church. And make sure that these things are being taught in your church. In fact, he emphasizes this again in verse 13. Notice he says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. How can people get to a place in their life where they set their hope on the living God through the teaching of God's word? Which is why you'll notice here, Paul's saying to this young pastor, you focus as the pastor on teaching the word of God to your people. That's what pastors should be focused on. Now, we all know that pastors in this day and age, they can get focused on a lot of different things, but they they lose their focus on teaching the Word of God. In order to teach the Word of God effectively, that means we've got to put a lot of study time in, too. You can't teach out of a vacuum. And so this is another reason why I have tried to keep my focus on the study of God's Word and teaching, because this is what's emphasized. This is what Paul is telling this young pastor. This is what you must do for you and your people. It's the only way all of us are going to get to a place where we set our hope on the living God and where we're willing to train for godliness and live for the life to come and work hard and struggle. Then verse 12, the next habit of the hopeful. How am I on time? Oh, I'm good. Plus, I got fresh batteries, so we can go for quite a while, can't we? Yeah. No, I'm just teasing. Verse 12, let no one look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in your speech, conduct, love, faithfulness, and purity. Now, in the English, this translation is sort of unfortunate because it almost comes across, well, it, it doesn't almost, it, it comes across like somehow Timothy this young pastor can control how other people think about him and how they view him. And yet, when you think about that, even on its face, you and I as human beings, we can't control how other people look at us. We can't control how other people think about us. What Paul is saying here is this. Don't, no matter who you are, young or whatever, Don't let others put you into their box and define who you are and what you become. Let God alone define your life. Because just like at Ephesus, just because Timothy was a young man, there were many people that thought little of his ministry simply because he didn't have the experience. He wasn't seasoned. He wasn't older than, say, a Paul or some of the other, you know, apostles or spiritual leaders. And Paul's saying, I don't care if this is what God's called you to. If God has set you as the pastor over that church, then you pastor that church and you pastor with the ability and the empowerment and the confidence that God is giving you to do it. And don't worry about how other people look at you. You do what God's called you to do. 
and don't let them limit who you are and what you become. Think about David when he was young. When he came to the battlefield and he heard that Goliath was despising the army of Israel and despising the God of Israel. And of course, again, he was the youngest. All of his brothers were like, what are you doing here? And even, you know, the rest of the army was like, you're just a young boy. He didn't let how others looked at him to prevent him from walking out on that battlefield with his sling and his stones and saying to that giant, stop defying my God. I'm going to whoop you. I don't care how small I am and how big you are. My God is big. And I'm going to stand up for my God. That's what Paul means here. David could have said, well, you guys don't think I'm very much. Well, then I'll just sort of, I'll just sort of back into my little corner here and keep my place. No. He faced down his enemy and gave it everything he had. He did not allow how others looked at him or what they thought of him, or what their opinion was of him, to limit what he could do for God. And that's one of the habits of the hopeful. We don't let other people define what we do for God. We let God make that call. You see. And that's what Paul is saying here. Then, verse 14. The next habit of the hopeful do not neglect the spiritual gift you have been given and confirmed by prophetic words when the elders laid their hands on you. Every believer has been given a spiritual gift, at least one. And Paul says it's so sad that Christians, even back in Timothy's day, sort of disregarded this supernatural endowment and ability by God. He said, if you have set your hope on the living God and you believe that your future is in God's hands and that all His promises He will fulfill, then you will step up and you will find out what your gift or giftings are and you will use them to benefit and profit your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because let me say this as well. God doesn't give us our spiritual gifts to benefit ourselves. And God primarily does not give us our spiritual gifts, because they're spiritual gifts, to benefit unbelievers and to be used in the world. He primarily, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, very clearly, Paul teaches there that God gives Christians their spiritual gifts so that we can use them within our local churches to benefit and profit our fellow believers. Which again is the context here. I'm telling you these things, Timothy, so that you can teach people, the people of God, how they should conduct themselves in the household of God, the church of the living God. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. We, and we're going to touch on this a lot Sunday. When we are not engaged in our church with our brothers and sisters in Christ, 
and we are not using our spiritual gifting to benefit and profit our fellow believers, we're being very selfish. Because we are withholding benefit and profit for them by us not using our gift. God, when He gives us these spiritual gifts, whatever they are, wants us to use it to edify and build up His body, the church. And so He says to Timothy, and then to pass on to His people, do not be careless or disregard this supernatural endowment that you've been given. And then it was confirmed and or affirmed by the leaders of the church. That's the next habit of the hopeful. Then two more tonight. Verses 15 and 16. Similar phrases here that I want to all take together. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them, verse 15. And then verse 16, be conscientious about how you live and what you teach. All those words really can be summarized in this way. It speaks about diligence and it speaks about giving ourselves wholly to something. How many Christians really take pains with this? How many Christians are really absorbed in these things and conscientious about their spiritual life? Again, what kind of effort? We want a big return. We want a big harvest. We want a big blessing. But how much are we putting forth? In order to get a lot out, we got to put a lot in. God's not going to do it for us. I mean, God does a lot for us, but God says, I've got to see that you're going to put forth some effort here. I'm not going to just do it all for you, you see. And so we need to call people, and we need to be examples of those who are willing to take pains and be absorbed And be conscientious about our spiritual life rather than complacent and casual and, you know, which is predominant in our churches and Christian circles today. If you and I have truly set our hope on the living God, then we will be willing to take pains with these things. We will be willing to go through some pain. Going back to the old training yourself, no pain, no gain. That's true spiritually too. If we just want everything just really comfortable and we don't want to ever be stretched and don't want to ever be pushed and and don't want to ever get out there into the deep water and all that and just stay in our little comfort zone, that's fine, but you and I will never grow and reach our potential spiritually. And we will limit how profitable and beneficial we will be to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Which is what he says here. Notice in verse 15. 
He says, take pains with these things and be absorbed in them so that everyone will see your progress. You and I won't have to toot our own spiritual horn. Going back to an old saying that my parents used to tell me when I was growing up. No Christian will have to toot their own horn. If you and I are doing the things that are the habits of the hopeful, our spiritual progress will be evident. It'll be clear. It'll be plain to everybody around. Everybody will notice. We won't have to, hey, you, you notice how much spirit, how more spiritual I'm getting? No. Won't have to say a thing. So many people want to talk big and talk about how spiritual they are. Paul says, don't talk about it. Just be and do. If we're truly progressing, it will be evident. By the way, I love, I love, I love this word progress in the original language. Let me share with you what it means. It means to make a steady advance. So again, God never calls us to perfection because we'll never be perfect on this side of heaven. But God does expect us to make progress. Steady, consistent advance. And then beyond that, here's what the word was... This is how it was used in Paul's day in the Greek language. It spoke about cutting through obstacles that was in our way. And then for the Christian, it was applied to being able to cut through obstacles in our life by the Lord's power. Think about that. It's not that we won't have opposition and obstacles. It's that we will actually make progress in spite of the obstacles because we will be able to cut through them with the Lord's power. In fact, again, in Paul's day, this word was used to describe pioneers and armies that would clear away or literally chop down forests in order to reach their destination. Now, and of course, we even know in our military, especially, and with pioneers moving west, that still happens. Obviously, in the Civil War days, but even up through World War II and even recently, and, and you still have military that they have to go through the, the logistics of sometimes clearing the way for the army to go through or getting supplies somewhere. That's how this word was used. Cutting down the forest. Cutting down the obstacles in order to reach our destination. I love that word. Because it does remind us, just like the book of Joshua, God doesn't say that our progress is going to be easy. Even though the promised land was there and God said, I'm giving you the promised land, they still had to battle for it. They still had to do things for it. They still had to put forth the effort. And the same principle is true today. And then one final habit of the hopeful. Verse 16. Persevere in this. Because by doing so, you will save both yourself and those who listen to you. You will keep yourself from spiritual decline and danger by persevering. The word literally means to stay at it or stay with something. 
And we all know, speaking about now bringing this full circle to comparing sort of spiritual fitness to physical fitness, we all know that's probably one of the biggest obstacles. It's like every year New Year's resolution time after the holidays. How many people say, oh, this year, this is the year, I'm going to join a gym, I'm going to get in shape. And for many people, they'll start out really faithful and good on that journey for a couple weeks or maybe even a couple months, but they cannot sustain it. Come February or March, right back to the old habits. And that's, that's true spiritually. How many times do Christians, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, you know, do this. And they, they get, you know, gone, but they can't sustain it. God is willing to give us all the empowerment and enablement we need to stay at something. We can persevere through the Lord. We don't have to quit. We don't have to give up. Yes, there will be obstacles. There will be opposition. It might get hard. But we can stick with it because God gives us supernatural stick to He gives us supernatural staying power if we really want it bad enough. And that's the real key. It's not as important how you start the race as how you finish it. And so many Christians today, man, they get off like gangbusters on something for a while and they're, they're on fire. But it's more important to consistently sustain just a steady advance over the long haul than it is to be that shooting star that goes out and then burns out real quickly. Have we set our hope on the living God? If so, Paul says, then these will be the habits of those that have. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us hope. Hope in you and hope in in your word. That God, our future... Everything about our future, both in this life and the life to come, is in your very capable hands. And that, God, everything, every promise that you have made to us will come true, just as you predicted. Everything. All the wonders that await us. And, Lord, not just for the life to come, but even in this present life. You have promised us that if we are devoted to you, it will pay off even now. It will be advantageous to us now. We can truly live an abundant life even here on earth. If we're willing to set our hope on the living God. So God, may we take this great passage of scripture tonight. And consider it. And think about it. And meditate on it. And maybe allow you, God, to just help us to either continue these habits that are found here 
or begin to build these habits or develop these habits into our life. Because we truly want to be a people, God, who set our hope on you. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here. We'll see you on Sunday.